I want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in a new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Dr. Joseph Maroon. He is the medical director for the Pittsburgh Steelers, has an illustrious career in pushing forward safety products, focused mostly on football. And we're gonna to talk to him about the evolution of technology and how that's going to turn all of our athletes, turn them into weekend warriors and hopefully keep them on the field longer. So. With no further ado, nice to uh, nice to meet you. And thanks for coming on. Thank you, Pete. It's my great pleasure. Great. So, you know, you've obviously spent a lot of times looking at, at data, trying to figure out what the remedies are here. So maybe can you take us back to when you started and, and the chronology of, of, you know, your path? Absolutely. I, uh, you know, I came to Pittsburgh back in the late in, in the late 70s, and I uh, was very interested in sports medicine. I played football at Indiana University, went there on a football scholarship, came to Pittsburgh and uh, started putting on sports medicine symposium because the first five years there were coming into the emergency room where I worked at the University of Pittsburgh, young men who were quadriplegic from football. Unbelievable. And I was uh, incredibly devastated by taking care of these poor young men and I, uh, I started putting on sports medicine symposium on how to protect the head and neck mm -hmm. from football injuries and subsequently have written several papers. But I was asked to be the team neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in the early 80s. And I was the first neurosurgeon in the NFL appointed by a team uh, for that purpose. And perhaps the most when I first began. If there was an athlete with a suspected concussion, it was how many fingers do you see? Right. You look to the right and left. Okay, you can go back in. I mean, more or less. There was no no real evaluation. A concussion was not thought to be that significant. You get over it, and you're okay. Well, in 1990, Coach Chuck Knoll challenged me when I told him that his starting quarterback couldn't return and play against the. Dallas Cowboys the next week because he had a concussion. He said, well, he looks good to me, knows his plays. And uh, he says, look, Maroon, I, if you want somebody to stay out, I want objective data, not guidelines, that it should be one, two, or three weeks. So hmm. I went to a neuro neuropsychological colleague, Mark Lovell, and we designed the impact test, immediate post-athletic cognitive testing, which eventually became computer-based. And we've now it's become the standard of care in the NFL, uh, in all major contact sports. And uh, we've, we've evaluated over 20 million 
tests in kids and various levels. Wow. So uh, subsequently, and that was in 1990, and it's grown since then, of course, it's become aware that concussions are not benign. Everyone doesn't recover from them, and that there can be long-term serious side effects, including problems with processing of information, memory, personality changes, etc., which has been the focus in the media for the last many years, since 2005, when the first paper on CTE and a football player was published. Sure. So that's kind of an overview. Yeah. So, you know, as, as you see all this technology moving into professional sports, you know, obviously the gear that, that is deployed now in, in high school, you know, it's much safer than it was when you were or when I was playing contact sports. Do you see this technology quickly moving into, you know, high school fields, you know, Pop Warner, you know, how, how quickly will this technology move downstream and, and how portable is it? Well, let me say there's been immense changes in rules, in equipment, in coaching, precipitated by the recognition that there are catastrophic complications from head injuries and from traumatic brain injury and concussions in sports. So all of those factors have, have expanded so that sports really, particularly youth sports, are safer than they've ever been. Right. And in the technology relative to head injuries, you know, several years ago, there was a system entitled HITS, high impact intensity testing, in which monitors were placed in helmets and they recorded the number of hits and also they attempted the number of the G-forces. And, and they were postulate, they were publishing that there were thousands and thousands of hits and so many G-forces, disastrous complications. We subsequently found out that this data was wrong in about 50% of the cases hmm. because the helmet moves and this and that so that these hyperbolic estimates and, and, and notations of injury were very deleterious, I think, overall. But hmm. it, again, drew more attention. More recently, uh, actually over the last seven or eight years, there's been in investigative efforts into mouthpieces which don't move. They're 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 mounted on the head literally, and they have triaxial accelerometers in them that literally measure the location of the hit, the number of hits, and the g forces that are associated with the hits. And there's a company, Prevent Biometrics, mm -hmm. in Cleveland. Uh, developed by two neurosurgeons and a bio, biomechanical engineer, all three very brilliant individuals that I know personally. And uh, they've been doing field work studies for the last seven or eight years, confirming the not only the application, but the validity uh, of the product. And they recently have been using it in rugby in Ireland. And they found that for the first time, we've gotten to the point where we're very close to a dosimetry badge in radiology. Do you know what that is? No, please explain. So physicians and radiologists wear a little badge on their okay. lab coats or on their, their, their scrubs that measure the amount of radiation they're exposed to over the course of a day, a month, a year. Mm -hmm. Well, 
with this device, this mouthpiece, that an individual with an iPad can stand in a press box or the mother in the stands can have this in her son and know and on real time the number of hits, the location of the hit, and the G-forces of the hit wow. towards you. I mean, this that, is... That's happening now? It's available right now. Wow. And are, are teams buying these helmets? So it's a helmet that has the, the, the jaw piece included, or is it just no, the jaw piece? No, this is a separate mouthpiece, just like yeah, okay, a fine. mouthpiece for anything in sports, and uh, relatively inexpensive, and custom-fitted to your mm-hmm. upper, upper teeth. And but since it's fixed to the head, any movement of the head is recorded by these miniature triaxial accelerometers Understood. and then transmitted to an iPad on the sidelines or in the press box or in the That's eye. Of the so, you know, this technology is available. The World Rugby League is now using this and going to use it in the World Cup. That's great. So that the, the proliferation of that and that information, you know, I, I watch one of these uh, Amazon web services where they put they look at a, a soccer pitch and they're basically like picking up pieces of data from all the, the the players. How do you foresee that moving forward? Does that actually act accessible? You know, when you think about like HIPAA rules, you know, would it go directly to the coach? You know, could it go to the parent? Um, could the fans see that? You know, probably opens up a lot of. It's a great question. You know, I, you're, you're um, taking me a little further along than than I'd given a lot of th- some thought to. But what I what I see immediate application is, you know, we have the NFL instituted a eye in the sky, so to speak, oh. at every NFL game. Up in the press box, there's a certified athletic trainer or an EMT tech who's watching screens of the live action on the football field. Amazing. And what they're looking for is evidence that the player got up slowly, the player stumbled, he postured, the hit looked pretty excessive. And then on the sidelines, we have earphones connected to the press box and they say, hey, take a a look at number 59. Wow. He got up a little slowly. It looks like he might have a problem. Now, Pete, add to that, now, not only is he looking and making a subjective assessment of the player getting hit, now he looks at his iPad, he says, hmm, that hit was 50 G forces and located in the right temporal area. Mm -hmm. And we know that 50 Gs plus or minus may be associated with a concussive episode. So we have more objective data, not just subjective, that will be added to the the data the data bank that we have to evaluate athletes. Now that's at the NFL. You asked a question about parents. Yeah, there's no reason that I know of that a parent couldn't sit in the stands of a rugby game, a soccer game, a football game, a basketball game, if the if the child, son, parent, whatever, daughter is wearing a mouthpiece, she will know the G-forces wow. that was impacted upon that patient's brain. 
I mean, this is amazing technology. What What do you think as a percentage of concussions that have led to anything that's, you know, elevated more than, you know, a weeks of drowsiness? I mean, like permanent or, you know, significant damage. Like, are we going to go down to 10%, 5%? I just want people to realize like how significant this is. And, and if you have concussions multiple times, you know, I'm sure the audience knows here, but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things when you, your, your brain's not operating properly. To that. Well, the, Pete, the most good, uh, very good questions. The most significant thing that we've done is number one, to introduce a neurocognitive test that can assess the ability of the athletes, processing speed, memory, and, uh, and, and ability to perform certain tasks. So we have a baseline. If you have a hit to the head and you don't hit that baseline, you don't return to play. That's Those are the rules. You have mm-hmm. to pass your impact test. But we also learned from seeing thousands of patients that the worst thing that can happen and the most important part of that test is you don't go back in while your brain is still inflamed or irritated. Got it. Because if you do and you get hit again, you can lose what's called autoregulation of the blood flow to your brain, and you can develop very serious swelling of the brain and and catastrophic complications. Or your brain is more susceptible to having problems in memory, in headaches, in Mm -hmm. migraine, and in emotional disorders if you go back too soon. So those are two factors. Number one, you don't go back. And number two, you don't go back until your brain is healed. That's probably the most significant contribution we've made. So the great majority of concussions subside within a week to two weeks with no treatment at all. Uh, There's a small lingering group, 5%, 10% who may last a month, two months, three months in terms of headache, inability to process information, can't remember things in school, these Mm -hmm. kinds of uh, subjective phenomena. With those, there are other approaches. We have the largest concussion center, I think, in the country here. We see over 7,000 new concussion patients per week, per month. 7,000 per month. And uh, there's a, a whole program on the, modulating the ocular vestibular system to get to get kids back in a healthy way. What would you say the average age is of the person that's showing up for, you said 800 a week? No, no a month, 7,000 7, a year. 7,000 a year. Yeah. Well, so, what would you say the average age of that? Probably 18 to 23. Okay. And and more recently, uh, so the great majority of these individuals get back to a normal life with appropriate therapy. I've recently been working with a group in the villages in Florida, the Aviv Hyperbaric Center. Okay. Uh, and we've used hyperbaric oxygen therapy in individuals with prolonged post-concussion syndrome. And we, we found it to be 
really efficacious and and getting getting kids back who were having prolonged two months, three months, four months. Wow. Symptoms. And there's a lot of there, there's literature now, recent literature out of Tel Aviv, uh, Israel and uh, here on using hyperbaric oxygen for post concussion syndrome of a delayed nature. Well, I didn't, I didn't know that. They're showing up in a number of uh, workout recovery studios and, and retail outlets now. So if that's a, a remedy, you know, there, there'll be more of those out in the market uh, machine-wise. I, I, have, I have a question for you um, on, on your career. Yeah, I, I started out in finance. I've always been in for-profit businesses. You know, as you've gone through you know, all of your work and with the Steelers, you know, and for, for this many years, 45 years and, and world wrestling, um, have, have you ever had the urge to, to go into a company to actually develop a, a product or a service? Or do you have those opportunities to kind of affect that commercialization versus this is what I do. I do it really well. I'm creating a movement, but I don't need to be inside of a company. Can, can you explain how, how that works in, in your mind versus we're, we're mostly on the for-profit side here. And I, I want people to understand how you, you think about success. You think about. Say, you know, that's a, as a, yeah, we could spend a lot of time on that, but basically we, we formed a company called impact. I told you, mm-hmm. but it was the unintended side effect of doing the right thing at the right time for athletes. We had no idea that we would have the impact that we had with this computer-based test. And we started in 1990, but as it continued to evolve, as more teams picked it up, as we refined the programs, as we published over 150 papers with it, it became apparent that there was a commercial commercial aspect to this. So uh, we were able to form the company uh, and uh, it, it's been, again, probably the most significant thing I've done. And I'm a surgeon, so I've right. operated on maybe 20,000 people in my career. But I've touched 20 million kids with the impact test. That's amazing. So from a standpoint of um, someone who's going into uh, the profession of, of, of more safety and sports-related products, where, where do you see the next... What's the next big leap besides, uh, you know, concussion and, and, and brain monitoring? Well, I, I think, again, we're talking about it's detection, but it's also therapeutics. And that's where I think hyperbaric oxygen therapy. There are other agents. Uh, my friend David Sinclair, who's head of the anti-aging lab at Harvard, is working on a product called NMN which uh, facilitates mitochondrial enhancement and energy production in the brain. So there are many opportunities. There's a company called ProTech that has developed an external shell for the helmets that Mm. reduces the impact forces. There's another company called Guardian that does the same thing. So, you know, enhancing protection with better technology is an open area as well that the NFL supports with very large grants on an annual basis, developing a better helmet, better pads, better monitoring systems. So 
it's a it's a fertile area for creativity and, and taking technology and using it in a unique way. And my, my last question, this is mostly related to seeing the evolution of athletes over the period of time, you being one, you know, how much nutrition and knowledge and Dude. science and data, you know, compared to like, I used to eat a, a meatball hero and a chocolate milk and then go play, you know, basketball game, right? I think that probably wasn't the right nutritional yeah. intake. So what do you see the future of, of athletes and how incredible are the feats going to be in the, in the speed times and the, you know, athleticism. I mean, you're talking about how to enhance peak performance. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm competing in the national triathlon championship in three weeks in Milwaukee. Oh, amazing. So that in terms of training, in terms of the technology with bicycles, uh, this sort of thing, training in swimming and, and running and, and then nutrition is a huge part. You know, do you use, creatine? Do you use the various supplements that enhance mitochondrial support? They did a study again in Israel using hyperbaric oxygen therapy in a group of middle-aged athletes and showed that it enhanced mitochondrial biogenesis. In other words, it made new mitochondria so that I think wow. we're going to see, again, HBO as a, another enhancement of peak performance. Amazing. Sometimes I'll see some of these games and, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the top 10 are just incredible. And then every year there's a new top 10 that's even better yeah. than, than before. So we'll um, wish you uh, well in, in your race. Thanks for coming on our show and, you know, uh, everything that you've dedicated your life to. Uh, I've got two ne a nephew and a niece who play sports. So it's nice to know that this technology is out there and, uh, you know, appreciate everything you've done. And, you know, uh, I'm sure that the legacy is, uh, is going to continue in that same trajectory, which is great. Well, thank you, Pete. Great pleasure. Excellent.